Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. If you have your Bibles and you would turn with me to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 11. We're going to cover the second half of Daniel 11 today. Actually, it's probably not half of it, but it's just the last section of it. Daniel chapter 11, verses 36, and we're going to actually go in chapter 12, verse 3 as well. Excited to see each of you here. Glad that you're here. Great to worship our great Lord together. I was thinking as Andrew introduced that first song of uh, Psalm 96, when it says, sing a new song. Some of you like the old songs, which is great. I love the old songs. In fact, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of them. Uh, Some of you who don't know, this is called a hymnal, and We'll talk about a few hymns in a moment. But some of you are so fixated on the old hymns um, that you lose sight that actually it's biblical for us to sing a new song. It's good to sing a new song. You can say it. It's okay. I know some of you want to say it. Amen. Thank you. Uh, Sing a new song unto the Lord. Uh, I want to just thank everyone who had a part last week. It was uh, a big undertaking to celebrate Team Jam and... Uh, John and Pam Saucier is a great day. They were so encouraged, and and I just commend each of you on just loving uh, the people that were here, and uh, just a, a great day of celebration. I do want to let you know the reason why I didn't introduce those guys was because they were like three times my size, and I didn't want you to see how small I really am in comparison with those football players, um, so I let you see them in their bigness, and I'm here. So I wore a jacket today just so I look a little bigger. But uh, what a great ministry. And uh, just to give you a report, uh, John and Pam, they live down in Florida. They're doing well. A lot of flooding around. Their son is, uh, is continuing to serve there uh, with the National Guard. And we just want to pray for those people uh, who have experienced a, a great devastation there in Florida. And we'll do that in just a moment. Um, just to let you know, this afternoon there's a service for Marie Louise Christopher over at Billow's Funeral Home this afternoon. Calling hours are from 1 to 2, and then uh, I'll be doing a service there at 2 o'clock. And so you just pray for um, Marie Louise's family as they walk through this and celebrate her life. She's a dear woman. Um, if you didn't get a chance, I would encourage you to, uh, to go on the Beacon Journal, theohio.com, and look up her obituary. Marie Louise Christopher, it's fascinating. Her boys did a great job of talking about her life and being born in Germany and then coming here uh, and then uh, how God worked that out and and all the things that Marie Louise um, lived through and experienced. Excited uh, to teach the book of John. For those of you who were there, um, you all get a star. For those of you who didn't, you have an after-school detention today. No, I'm just teasing. I just want to encourage you, if you if you would, I know it's a change. You know, we're going, uh, we're, I'm calling it post-COVID now. We're past all that. We've changed all that. And some of you have settled into your routine of getting up in the morning, having your coffee and your donuts and coming in and rolling in around 10 o'clock, uh, which is okay. That's all right. Let me encourage you. Dig deeper. All right. Our life here is short. Our life here is short, and we need to dig in and utilize the time that God has given us. And I'm not saying that just because I'm teaching the class. Um, I'll put you, you'll have a good nap. See, you'll get a nap in anyway, but 
um, come and, and be a part of that study if you if you want to be and as we walk through the Gospel of John. Uh, I was I think I was telling Joelle, which she's doing children's church this morning. Um, I I need to apologize. I feel like sometimes I get so excited about what I'm teaching or what I'm preaching that I feel like sometimes you guys are just like, dude, he needs to simmer down a little bit. Um, I, I come to this text today and I'm really excited to walk through it. There's a part of me that just breaks me though. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm praying that it breaks us in our heart um, and that it convicts us. But man, God's word is alive and active. It is so awesome to be here and to be in the word together and I'm thankful for each of you who have who are who have made the decision to come and worship the Lord here together. And so let's pray before we dig into Daniel 11 and uh, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this great opportunity to open up your word. And I pray, Lord, that as we do, that your spirit would work in us in a great way. Lord, that we would not leave here the same people as we walked in. And we know that that can only happen because of your spirit that is residing and living inside of us who is alive today. Lord, I want to pray for those who continue to sift through the devastation in Florida. Lord, so much, so much that's just been taken away and destroyed. And we just pray for the authorities that you give them wisdom, help them to have great oversight. Lord, we pray for those who have lost so much. That even in the face of this, that, that they would see Christ, that, that the believers would offer hope and the gospel would continue to be proclaimed. And we would just pray for your protection and for your continued provision for each one that's there. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship you in the way that we've done this morning. And so now we come to your word and in a little while we'll celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper together. And Lord, I just pray that that you would be glorified, that your name would be magnified, that you would be lifted up. It's not about each one of us. We are here as obedient servants of yours, desiring to hear from you, our great God. And so may you speak to us today freely. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Daniel 11, verses 36, and we'll read through chapter 12, verse 3. Would you stand with me as we read? Please, if you're able and willing. Daniel chapter 11, verse 36. It says, And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper until the indignation is accomplished. And for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. 
He shall come into the glorious land, and tens of the thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver, all the precious things of Egypt and the Liberians, Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction, and he shall pitch his um, palatial tents beside the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charged of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the, in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Let me read to you before we dig in and walk through these verses. Um, something from John Wolford. Um, he's got a great commentary series. If you've never read it, you, I encourage you to do that. John Wolford wrote this in a time past. He said this. The nations are indeed at a crossroads. And impeding events cast their shadow on every aspect of human life. The world is moving faster and faster like a colossal machine out of control whose very power and momentum inevitably will plunge it into ultimate disaster. Apart from the Bible, the world does not have any ray of hope. Our most brilliant leaders have not found an answer. The present world crisis is not a result of any one factor, but a concurrence of cause and effect which combine to set this world stage for conflict. Whatever the future holds, it is going to be dramatically different than the past. In this dark picture, only the scripture chart a sure course and give us an intelligent explanation of worldwide confusion as it exists today. The present world crisis in the light of the scriptures revealed existence of remarkable components in almost every area, which may lead to dramatic climax of a world history. The present crisis in every area of human life all point to the same conclusion, that disaster awaits the nations of the world. Praise God. That's a ray of hope, right? No, see, John Wolford wrote this in 1967. When you look at history, what was going on in the 1967, the Six-Day War was taking place in the Middle East. And as scholars, biblical scholars, and as the church watched, they saw the world crumbling apart, and they saw the nation of Israel battling for the Middle East. As we look at things that are transpiring today in our world, our world is not getting any better. And actually... That fits with what the Bible tells us. And so when we look at the text this morning, 
I want to start off with just saying uh, this isn't to get us down or depressed. It's just a fact. It's a fact that sin runs rampant on this earth. And it will continue to run rampant until one returns. And that's not Satan. That's not the Antichrist until Jesus returns. As we looked at the text two weeks ago, this first part of chapter 11 walks through a series of things to come. As Daniel wrote them, he's writing in prophecy of the historical things that were going to take place. We view them as history now. They're historical events that we can see line up with history and they happen exactly how Daniel wrote them. Some scholars would say within those first 35 verses of Daniel 11, there were some 135 prophecies that have come true. When I preached two weeks ago, I said we must believe the text and we must believe and trust the God of the text. The same is true for this section that we're going to look at. This section as we dig in today is quite difficult, Un not unlike where we've been for these last several weeks. But I want to I give you not necessarily a word-by-word -word view of this. But I want to help you to understand that, that there is trouble coming. And yet, how do we respond as followers of Jesus? So let's dig into the text here as we begin in verse 36. Verse 36, as you read through the chapter, many will go and start and say, well, is verse 36 the same king that we were looking at in the verses ahead. Uh, Dr. Mark Yarborough gives seven reasons why this is not the same king. All right. What we saw earlier was Antiochus Epiphanes. And we saw how detailed that Daniel gave in his description of the prophecies that were to come. And how Antiochus Epiphanes fulfilled every one of them. Now, when we look at this, I want to give you and most biblical scholars uh, will probably propose to you that this is a different king. All right. And here's the seven reasons why Dr. Mark Yarbrough gives us number one, verse 36 gives us a new introduction. And it says, and the king, if it's the same person, you are not going to mention him by name. Uh, number two, the military moves that we see in these verses cannot be fulfilled in Antiochus Epiphanes. He does not fulfill the prophecies that are going to happen in verses 30, 36 um, through 45 here. The king, quote there, is a different title. Antiochus Epiphanes has been called the king of the north. All right. And so we see here there's a different title. We see also in verse 40. That the king of the north is different than this king mentioned in verse 36. Number five. Chapter 12 verse 1. Is cited by Jesus in Matthew 24, 21. 
talking about the future. So if Jesus cites these events as happening in the future in his time, then they cannot have happened in the past. Does that make sense? Yes? No? Maybe so? If Jesus says, listen, this is going to take place in the future. We record or we read the recording of Daniel. Jesus quotes it as not yet happening. It means that as we read it in Jesus's time, it hasn't happened. So this is a different king that we see here in verse 36. Number six, we see in our text here that the Antichrist, and this is the new king that we'll pick up here in verse 36, the Antichrist has um, no gods. But what we know of the, of the past of Antiochus Epiphanes, he had many gods. Antiochus Epiphanes worshiped many gods. And that description is found here, but also earlier in, in, in Daniel. But we see here, this king worships no gods. He's actually an atheist. And we'll see what he worships. The seventh and final helps us to see that in our section here, that this king dies in the land of Israel. But we know from history that Antiochus Epiphanes dies in Persia. He doesn't die in Israel. He dies in Persia, which is nowadays what we would call Iran. So that's seven reasons that Dr. Mark Yarbrough gives. I'm good with that. If you're not good with that, that's okay. You dig in, you do your study. I thought it was a simple way of being able to share with you uh, why this is a different king. So when we look at this different king, it must mean that there's something taking place different. And so well, let's dig into this. Let's talk about this king. This king shall do as he wills, which we've seen this phrase used earlier. Daniel's used this in Daniel 7, in describing uh, who this was and who's coming in Daniel 9. Um, this is a, a king who will do as he wills. He shall exalt himself magnifying himself above every God and to speak astonishing things against the God of gods. Now the God of God is Yahweh. And throughout the course of Daniel's writings, he has made it very evident who is sovereign and who is in control of the whole world. Yet this King will speak astonishing things against Daniel's God or Israel's God. Verse 37, he shall pay no attention to the God or the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. Now, this is a phrase that's, um, that's speculatory. I think that's a word. If it's not, I made it up. You can use it. There's a lot of speculation about this. What does this mean? Well, during Jewish times, there was a, a desire for women uh, that they may be the one who would carry the Christ. And so in the context of what we're reading here, uh, I don't think this is downplaying women. 
I think it talks about this desire that the Jewish ladies had that they may be called or maybe the one who would bear the coming Christ, the Messiah. And so we see here this text, the context tells us he paid no attention to the God of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other God for he shall magnify himself above all. Verse 38, he shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these. So what does this king exalt? What does he worship? Fortresses, meaning he's all in with his army. He's all about his army and battling and fighting. And so as he goes all in, it says in verse 38, he shall honor the God of fortress instead of these, a God whom his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor and he shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. I believe this is the Antichrist who ultimately is worshiping Satan himself, the devil. We get that not only from our text here, but in Revelation as well. I wish I had the time to walk through it all. I encourage you, open your Bible, read it, study it, dig in. Say, well, pastor, you can share as long as you want. I'm not going two hours today. Pentecost used to preach two hours. Some of you have trouble 45 minutes to an hour. I won't go two hours. But what I'm giving you is insight to help spark something inside of your heart and in your soul for you to dig. Remember, don't just push aside. Let me pause for a minute. Don't just push aside and say, well, I don't understand this and it's not important. Do you, do you believe that this is the truth? Do you believe that it's inspired by God himself? It's God breathed. Part of it or all of it? So if all of it is inspired and breathed out by God, don't you think all of it is important for us? I don't understand it, Pastor. I'll let you tell me whatever I need to believe. Don't you dare do that. Come on. What a lazy people. Ready to be led to slaughter. Don't be like that. I'm not going to lead you to slaughter, I hope, but. Listen, uh, the text here tells us about this man and, and this first part of this is about his character. And this Antichrist speaks fully of the kind of deception and the kind of man he is that he would throw and cast aside everything that the world would know and he would worship and he would be led by Satan himself. Say, man, it's interesting. How, how would he get there? We're going to talk about that in a moment. But as we look at this, we see this man, his character is described in verses 36 through 39. And then we see his actions and his acts, verses 40 through 45. Verse 40. At that time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries that shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land 
meaning what? What's the glorious land here? Israel. All right, we've seen it before. We see it again here. Israel. He comes into Israel. So come into the glorious land, verse 41, and tens of thousands shall fall. But these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. Now, we don't know why these three are delivered out of his hands, but there are tens of thousands that have been delivered into his hands who he has slaughtered. This is not a good man. This is not a good picture. This is great turmoil. 42, he shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. So now he's going to go down and he's going to attack Egypt or the land of the south. Remember, when you're looking in context of, of not only this passage, but other passages, Israel's almost always the center. So when you look at the king of the north, that's referencing Israel as the center point. All right. And so here we see Egypt, the, the south, the king, this king, the Antichrist is going to go down and is going to what? He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver. Verse 43, and all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow his train. Meaning wherever he goes, he's exalted and high and lifted up. He's the man. He's the conqueror. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him. So as he's conquering Egypt and the countries of the south, he's going to hear word that there's an uprising in the north and from the east. Now, if this Antichrist is down in Egypt, where is north? What is in the north? Israel is there. So he hears news, verse 43. For news from the east and from the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his tent, his kingly tent. Where? Between the seas. What's between the seas? Oh, let's read the next phrase. That helps us too. And the glorious holy mountain. What's the glorious holy mountain? That's where the king rules. That's where the city of David, what we would call Jerusalem. So he's going to put his tent there. He's going to rule from there. This Antichrist is going to rule from Jerusalem. It kind of talks about what? The tribulation period. So let's think about this. We see this as the end of time. This is a description of what I would call premillennial dispensationalism. It's a big theological term, terms, meaning this. I believe, first and foremost, that God is going to rapture the church. All right? Those who have trusted Christ as Savior during this age in which we live now. All right? God's dealing with Israel was put on pause when they rejected the Messiah. When they rejected Christ as the Messiah, Jesus, God's own son, God's dealing with Israel was put on hold until this church age is done. Because the gospel went out to the Jew, but also to the Gentile. As Daniel records this gospel, he's not talking about the church at all. Paul records for us in the New Testament that the church was a mystery to those who were in the Old Testament. I'm thankful that God had a plan and that I get to be part of that plan in this church age. 
But this church age will end. And as this church age ends and we are called home to glory in what I believe is the rapture. All right. Then that begins the line or the continuation of God dealing with his nation Israel. And that's what we see what's recorded here in Daniel. Some people have asked, well, why the tribulation? Let me give you a couple quick reasons. Number one, it, the tribulation takes place in what we're going to read here or what we've read for the purpose of Israel. It's the purpose of Israel that Israel would come and see Jesus as who he really is. And that would ultimately lead during this tribulation period, a great massacre of many Jews and many of who will turn their hearts to Jesus but it ultimately leads to that millennial kingdom when Jesus rules for a thousand years. So it's to prepare Israel. It's to punish sinners. The tribulation will take place for the purpose of the Gentiles. Revelation 16.2 and Revelation 3.10. Revelation 16.2 talks about rejecting God's son and receiving the Antichrist. Receiving the Antichrist, there will be people, many, and I'm going to read for you a description shortly of John Phillips, Dr. Phillips, and his, his understanding of how the Antichrist will be viewed. Re Revelation 3.10 calls it the testing, painful trials of earth dwellers, those who are of earth mindset. They're not heavenly mindset. The tribulation exposes that. And then we see this in Isaiah verses 24 through 27, especially in chapter 26, verse 21. Number three, tribulation takes place and its purpose is to prove God's power. To prove God's power for the purpose of God. It's interesting when you think back to the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 5 and verse 2. How did... Pharaoh respond to Moses' demand to let the people go, to let God's people go. God was mocked. And I will tell you here today, God will not be mocked. Not for very long. Now he has his plans and he has his timing. But he wants the world to know, as he says in Revelation 15, verses 3 and 4, there is only one true God. And he is to be worshipped. He is to be trusted and he is to be followed. Number four, tribulation purpose is to portray Satan's true character. It shows who Satan really is. Would you turn with me? I don't. You, I haven't been doing this, but I'm going to have you do this. Second Thessalonians. It's not going to be on the screen, so you turn with me if you would. Second Thessalonians, chapter two. So it's after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then we get First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, chapter two. Second Thessalonians two. And I want to read to you 3 through 8. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. 2 Thessalonians. Not first. Sorry if I said first. 
Paul writes this to the church. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. Meaning what? The coming of the Lord. So don't be deceived. The coming of the Lord hasn't come. But the rebellion must come first, he says. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or objects of worship. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God and proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Isn't it awesome how what Daniel wrote ties together with what Paul's writing? Some five, six hundred years later? Isn't that astonishing? It's because it's not written by man. This is the word of God. And it speaks of Satan's true character. Revelation 12, 12. Satan admits he knows that his time is short. Satan is not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful. He is wise. He is beautiful. And he has a lot of power. And he has a lot of forces. Satan knows because just like you and I can read, he knows this is God's word. And he knows his time is running up. The last one is to provide salvation. Purpose of the tribulation is to provide salvation. Look in Revelation chapter 7. This is pretty cool. Again, it's interesting as... I've studied, and I hope you study, you see more and more new things. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, John is writing this, and he says, After I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. I used to read that and think, oh, that's part, we're part of that. No, jump forward to verses 13 and 14. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to them, sir, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. There is going to be a great salvation during the tribulation period. How is it all going to happen? Listen, I don't know. All I know is I believe the text. All right. People argue and fight and say, well, are people who reject Jesus before the rapture, are they going to be saved later? All I know is there's a lot of people who get saved. So much so that John says the multitudes are too great 
So many people are going to be saved during those seven years of tribulation. People say, well, then I'll just reject Jesus now and I'll accept him later. That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works because let me tell you, there is one who is really strong and he's really deceiving. He's really cunning. And if you read this text, there are going to be hundreds and millions of hundreds of people who are going to follow him. And they're going to follow him into the depths of hell. Thinking that at some time, maybe they could have changed their decision. But they didn't. We see the resurrection here of believers. There's a resurrection of that before. And I mentioned that of the rapture. From 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. There is this time of trouble. The tribulation. Seven years. Again I haven't gone into great detail of. Time. Half a time. Times. All those. I want you to study. I want you to dig in. I believe the tribulation is seven years. And halfway through that tribulation. Something great has taken place inside of Jerusalem. You know what our text just told us here back in Daniel chapter 11? Daniel 11 verse 45, it says, He shall pitch his tents, his kingly tents, between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. That tells me the king, the Antichrist, puts his dwelling inside of Jerusalem and is going to do the very things that the Bible tells us in that three and a half year period of time. This is the description of the Antichrist. As I said, verses 36 through 39 talk about his character. And verses 40 through 45 talk about his actions. One theologian said this about the Antichrist and what we read there in 2 Thessalonians 2. He believes he can function sufficiently well without God. This Antichrist has no need for God. And he thinks he can do everything by himself. When I came to this part, I just started weeping this week. Because if you're anything like me, I often believe that I can function sufficiently Without God. Say, oh, not me, pastor. I know I need God. You humble yourself for a moment. When you woke up this morning, did you acknowledge the one who gave you breath? Did you thank him for the sleep that you gave, that you got? The fact that your body wasn't destroyed, but that as you lay in bed, it held together. In the midst of the gravity and everything else that your body was healing itself. Something that you have no control over. You just close your eyes and you lay down. You acknowledge every step that God gives you. I know. I wish I did. Because I'm proudful and I'm arrogant. And there are days that I walk through the, my life here on this earth 
thinking that I, I can take care of it. Oftentimes, it's not in rebellion to God. Praise him. But who gives you breath? Who guides your steps? Who saves your soul? Who has the very days that you will live here on this earth written down? Who knit you and formed you in your mother's womb before you even had a day on this earth? There is one. And to think for a second that you and I can live life well by ourselves is proudful and arrogant. And it goes against the very face of what God desires for us. This call today, while we can look at the Antichrist and we can acknowledge he wants nothing to do with God and he thinks that he can do it well, we are not so much different in many ways. I'm not anti-God, but sometimes my life and my mind are. And so I call out to the one who does sustain me, who does guide me, who is sovereign in control of every area of my life, even when I don't want to admit it. The one who hears my prayers and answers them, maybe not the way that I want them answered, and I can get mad and upset. And yet there is a holy and just God who knows exactly what is best for you and your life. I love the old hymn that says, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, blessed Savior, now. Bless me, I come to thee. It takes us coming to him, acknowledging who he is, and humbling ourselves under him. We see that God uses even the evil to accomplish his will. This is all really bad, but look at chapter 12 in the first three verses. It continues this section. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation at that time. We talked about how Jesus references this in his discourse on Olivet, Mount Olivet. But at that time, your people shall be delivered Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life. First time this is mentioned in the Old Testament. Everlasting life. It reminds me of what John wrote in John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His one and only. Whoever believes in him will have what? Everlasting life. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn 
many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You know what this talks about? Sharing the gospel. Sharing this good news. Notice what the text says. Those who are wise, verse 3, shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Meaning there's a turning, meaning there's the opportunity that God gives us, and we see this in the Old Testament, of where we can share the good news about the coming Christ who's going to return, who has already died, was buried and rose again three days later. We have that great opportunity to share the grace that, that has been extended to us. We get to share that grace with others. The end of the vision that started in chapter 10, we see now has concluded. Next week, we're going to see the cleaning up of Daniel's recording and what God tells him and how he is supposed to respond. As we think about this for our lives, I think it comes to three simple things, I believe. But before I do that, I want to read to you, because I told you I would do this, what John Phillips recorded about the Antichrist. And as I read this, I want us to be careful. I want us just to be careful on how we view ourselves. Let me read this. Bible commentary John Phillips noted this. The world will go delirious with delight at his manifestation. He will be the seeming answer to all its needs. He will be filled with all the fullness of Satan. Handsome with a charming Rakish devil like make care personality. He's got a gen he's he's a genius. He's superbly at home with all the scientific disciplines. He's brave as a lion, and with the air of mystery about him to tease the imagination or to chill the blood as an occasion may serve. He's a brilliant conversationalist in a score of tongues. He's a soul captivator, orator. He will be the idol of all mankind. The world will be in panic, and he will bring peace. The world will be in chaos, and he will bring control. Satan will finally have his superman in this Antichrist. Daniel's description of him, it's describing the Antichrist's ability to outthink overpower these other kings appearing as something little and soon becoming something great. It is a very short period of time. Leaders and Kings will hand over their power and make give, make giving their alliance to this man. The apostle John said this power would be handed over clearly saying they will quote, hand over their power and authority to the beast in Revelation 17, 13. So in all of this, how do we respond? Number one, I think we need to come to Jesus. If you haven't come to Jesus and acknowledged him as the savior of your sin, to be the provider who forgives you and gives you eternal life, you must start there. 
If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, keep coming to him. This is a non-negotiable. Keep running to him. Don't try to live a life sufficient apart from him. You'll never accomplish it. Because he knows what's best for you. Number two, share the grace that has been given to us. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we have a responsibility as his ambassadors until Jesus returns to share of that grace. Most of us are great with the Great Commission as long as somebody else is doing it. And it's time for us to stop. It's time for the church to wake up. That's why on October 21st, on that Friday night, we're having what's called underground church. And part of that underground church is the purpose to look at the Great Commission and the personality, the personalness of that responsibility for each one of us. Because I know what the excuses are. Oh, I can't, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to tell somebody. We want to help you. We want to walk through God's word. And it's a training time. It's a teaching time. It's a learning time. Do you care about the grace that God's given you? Do you care about the hundreds of millions of thousands of people who will spend eternity in hell? Or will you think of them like I often do? So cold and callous. Who says, they've made their choice. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't look at you that way? How awful is that? Lord, forgive me. We have a great responsibility to share the grace that has been given to us. And third and final is this. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Listen, we know who wins. I just got done reading through first Peter in my, my personal time with the Lord. And it was so encouraging to me because Peter's writing to the early believers and saying, listen, there is trials. There's going to be struggles. You're going to be, uh, go through hard, difficult times. And he's saying, listen, don't lose hope. As we read through the book of Daniel, Daniel's readers, as they're hearing this, the nation of Israel as they've been brought back from being scattered abroad and seeing that God has a plan for them, the greatest hope is that their God was going to win. That he was in charge of all these other nations and he maneuvered and worked. They did his work and that ultimately he was going to be the one who was going to rule over his people. That was their hope. As we follow Jesus Christ, our hope is not set here on this earth. There is something more glorious. So do not be deceived. Don't listen to the lies. As I said, Satan is powerful. But acknowledge him for who he is. He seeks to destroy you. Remember, I told you about this great book. Listen to these words. My faith has found a resting place. Not in device or creed. I trust 
the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. Enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He never casts me out. My heart is leaning on the word, the written word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name. Salvation through his blood. My great physician heals the sick. The lost he came to save. For me, his precious blood he shed. For me, his life he gave. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died. And that he died for me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you that you give us hope. That even in the midst of a dark world, and we know it's going to continue to get dark, there is great light. You called us to be light and salt. I pray that you would help our lights to shine. Help us to take great strength and hope in our wonderful Savior. Lord, I pray if there is anyone here who has not yet given their heart to Jesus. That right where they're seated, they would cry out to you. Acknowledging that you are God of gods. You are Lord of lords and that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us. And that his blood was shed to pay for our sins. The penalty that we owe because we fall short of the perfect and holy God. Not only did Jesus die, but he rose again and he conquered sin and death and he paves a way for each of us. And we walk with you, Lord, not because we have anything to offer, not because we've done anything to earn our way into your great presence, but because of your great grace, because of the love that you've shown to each one of us. You loved us while we were enemies of yours. You gave your life for us while we despised you. And yet today, we can come boldly before your throne of grace, acknowledging that we are your children. Unworthy, but overly grateful. Thank you for the way you care for us. And I pray that your spirit would prick our soul. That we may not walk about these days thinking that we know what's best and how to live. But we would humble ourselves before your mighty hand. That we would freely share of the grace with boldness and confidence. With the people that you're going to put in our lives this day and the week ahead. That even though they may reject it, that it's a seed that's planted that you may cause to germinate and to grow. Help us not to lose hope. You are the God of hope. We place our hope because of what Jesus has done. We need nothing else said. We need nothing else done. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me.